I'm enjoying talking to the older dealers. Some I get very long emails from guys in their 80s and some I get two sentences. I've been looking all over Facebook and in the white pages for addresses, phone numbers, and sometimes they call me up. I've sent literally hundreds of emails and letters and I've been reading a lot of articles by George Vrachek. Yeah. And he's been very helpful. I've emailed him. Ray Medeiros, he's been an excellent source. And all, all these guys have been very obliging as far as my pursuit of photos and postcards. Okay. I really want to talk about some of the photographers, unsung heroes in our industry. Oh, yeah, and, definitely. And some of the veterans, some of those collectors, the really old guys back in those days, they weren't strictly cards. If they saw something, there was a photo or some piece of advertising ephemera. Postcards were a big deal until the 60s or... I, I, I would say into the sev- late 70s, they were still, photo postcards were still popular. And I think McCarthy's he probably stopped producing them in the late 70s, around 80, yeah. right before he passed away, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But the interesting thing about postcards is that they're actually worth more when they have writing and postage stamps on them, the postmarks. So a damaged postcard is worth just as much as maybe a mint card from today. You know, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with Ben Bram. I want to thank our sponsors. Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, as well as Heritage Auctions and Huggins and Scott Auctions, the Top Spinini Upper Deck. So welcome, Ben. And Hi, uh, how you tell a little bit about your collecting background. A typical 80s collector as a kid. I started buying wax packs in 82 and rack packs. I was looking for rookie cards just like everyone else. Cal Ripken, Strawberry, Good and Mattingly, Tony Gwynn. And I like looking for rookies, and I got even more excited when the update sets came out and rookie sets and traded sets. But the one thing that really interested me were minor league sets. And the first one I picked up was a TCMA Columbus Clippers set from 1981, and it had Dave Rigetti and Steve Balboni in it. They were always difficult to find, the minor league sets. I'd ask around for them. A lot of dealers didn't want to be bothered with them, but to me, they were the real rookie sets. I found the 79 Ogden set with Ricky Henderson the 81 Nashville RB set with Don Mattingly, Cal Ripken's 81 Rochester card. But I, I collected seriously from 82 to 92. Then, like most collectors, I got into college and probably everything just got expensive and I lost interest for about 15 years. Were you purely a collector or were you buying and selling a little bit? I never sold anything. Okay, well, I was just, that's, uh, ben, that's why it gets expensive. <laughs> money out and not money in. And some of those things that you would have bought back in the day, some of the minor league sets have, have gone up. Uh, a lot of them have gone down. <laughs> this is stagnant. We're a demand-driven hobby more than a supply-driven hobby. Most of those minor league sets you're talking about, 1,000 sets, 2,000 sets, they're hard to find. But they're hard to sell, too. Okay, so you're collecting minor league cards, and then you quit for a while, and then what got you back into it? eBay. (laughs) Like they say, it was everything you want from your home. And I searched for minor league cards, and one of the sellers was Will Allison, and he would always throw a couple freebies in, and something he threw in were two black and white postcards of Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry with Lynchburg and Tidewater. I'd never seen these before. And I flipped them over and they had handwriting on the back. And I was like, ah, someone wrote on these. Why'd they have to do that? Then sometime later, I saw an eBay listing for a Barry Bonds 1985 Prince William postcard. And it was the same type of postcard, same handwriting. And I lost the bid with a second to go. <laughs> and I messaged Will Allison. I said, did you see this card? He goes, yeah, I want it. <laughs> okay. And so then I was on a mission to figure out who produced these cards. And I asked a lot of questions to eBay sellers and 
all-time collectors and determined the photographer and collector's name was Brooke Treacle okay. out of Virginia. And he produced these photos for players. He would take them in the minor leagues and they'd order maybe 25 photos or postcards to give out to friends and family. He also provided photos. He freelanced for TCMA and produced the 1980 Peninsula Pilot set with Julio Franco. So I continued looking for his postcards and they pop up here and there. He did cards of Cal Ripken with Rochester, Wade Boggs with Pawtucket, uh, Cecil Fielder, Tony Fernandez, Roger Clemens, all in the minor leagues. But they're very difficult to find. And that led me to more postcards. And I found a lot of older minor league ones, like Phil Necro, who just passed away with Louisville, George Brett with Omaha. And I was trying to figure out who produced these because the handwriting on the back was different. They were similar black and white postcards. And I traced those back to Mel Bailey. The order of the day was, they were pure cards, pure photos. So there wasn't superimposed printing on the front. The, the photographer generally would write the name of the player on the back because although now these are household names, but there also were guys that never really made it that they took uh, pictures of. So you normally would find a nicely handwritten name of the player on the back. And the interesting thing about Mel Bailey is he brought the first Japanese cards over to America. And he also produced printed postcards when he was in Japan. I spoke to Mel's son and he said his father advertised in Sports Collectors Digest and he would sell to maybe 20 or 30 collectors and Major League Baseball knew he was doing this and they, they knew him well and let him slide by. They didn't try to litigation against him or anything. It wasn't a commercial enterprise as much. If uh, the, the card companies would have put pressure on Major League Baseball to squeeze him out if they thought it was a threat. He's just doing player cards, and it, it, those were simpler days. But what what has given you a bigger kick now here in 2020, finding the postcards or connecting with some of these uh, gentlemen that took the postcards and and really hearing about the the good old days? Both. It's good to get a history lesson and learn about the older collectors. One who's been very helpful, not only a collector and a photographer, is Doug McWilliams. He started out as a kid taking pictures in the Pacific Coast League. And later on, he started producing postcards for the Oakland A's, the players rather, not the team. And the first one he took pictures of was Vita Blue in the 71 season. That's when he had his Cy Young and MVP year. And he wanted photos for fans, but the postcards were more cost-effective to produce. So he printed up 16,000 postcards for Vita Blue. And then somehow the postcard got into the hands of Cy Berger with Tops. And that's when he asked McWilliams to take pictures for him, okay. which he did from 1971 to 1994. He was pretty much their main photographer and took all the pictures that are on most of the cards. Now, as a side note, Charlie Finley, the owner for the A's, threatened litigation against McWilliams for using the A's insignia. But then when he saw that Reggie Jackson was giving out the postcards to fans and wasn't costing him anything, Finley told McWilliams he could do whatever he wanted. <laughs> You're really talking about the guys that had to get out there in spring training and at the ballparks and, and and take these photos and then figure out a way to distribute them if they were freelancers. Mel Bailey and another photographer, Roger Wood, they did work for Upper Deck. Roger Wood also has done work for Leaf, Classic Best, and Tops. I have some postcards of Ricky Henderson with Jersey City. The photographer who took those freelance for TCMA, his name was Don Pierre, and he would ship his film to Mel Bailey who would print it out for it. Now, I have the original sample postcards. Bailey went to like a copy sheet or so. You'd have maybe 18 images on one page of proofs as opposed to 18 single cards. Sometimes a picture might not be worth a lot. Ben, people are asking me all the time, what's the next big thing? And I don't think what we're talking about is necessarily the next big thing. 
but it could be a next thing. It can't be a big thing because there just aren't very many of them out there. You could, a lot of times the things that are valuable now are things that were not intentionally scarce. They just weren't saved or they, they weren't that paid. And that's really what you're talking about. But to get George Brett before he's on the Royals and Ricky Henderson before he's on the A's and Barry Bonds before he's on the Pirates, that's capturing that moment in history, which think of the anticipation of these guys that were good if you were at the Chicago National this summer, assuming it happens. What, what would you hope to find? I would be looking for more black and white postcards or team issues of rookie players. There's one image I want. I've tried contacting hundreds of people without any luck. Um, and that's Fred McGriff in single A baseball with the New York Yankees at Bradenton in 81 or 82. I've tried everywhere. I tried Getty images, but they want to charge, I think, $100 an hour to look for the image. And there's what no about, guarantee. What about when I was in college? I got a tour because one of my buddies, had a relative at the Sporting News. I was going through St. Louis and I got the VIP tour of the Sporting News. They let me look through their photo archives. They had these drawers full of photos that were organized by player. Who have you really enjoyed connecting with of the older guys? I, I would have to say Doug McWilliams, Ray Medeiros, and Bill White. They've been a wealth of information. It's unbelievable the knowledge they have in the history of the hobby. Bill White has to be 90. I think he's about 85 or 86, but he's a sharp. I, I used to do the Philly shows in the 70s, and he would be at those. He was a very nice gentleman. I'll post some of the photos on Facebook on a, a vintage baseball photo page. Here and there, I'll put some pictures up. And I've always acknowledged the photographer. Right. A lot of people say, who's Mel Bailey, and why are all his photos black and white? But Well, you know. he's, you know, was a key figure in the hobby. And like I said, he has other legitimate sets that are card sets, the, the Japanese and he put out the first collector's set, an Omaha minor league set in the early 60s, and it has Joe Altabelli in it. That's probably one of the first minor league sets as far as being catalog goes. We'll see, but I have that because it's catalog. Well, it's catalog because I have it. It's a chicken and egg problem. But like I say, the minor league cards do not get the respect. And the minor league postcards, probably even less. But As I'm looking at Paul O'Neill in the background there. That's a Paul O'Neill. Uh, 1982. Yeah, yeah. And my wall is to have an eclectic mix of one. It's alphabetical. It's one per one card per player personality. But I like to put some minor league cards in so people can see that they're legit. If there are a thousand sets of some of those, there still aren't a thousand people who want them unless the player hits really big. Some people's concern was that they would reprint the sets. Uh, and but this is what's funny. I have a copy of it. In 1985, I think it was, TCMA put out a, a Christmas catalog. And they were selling like all the sets they produced. And they had one page of single-player cards for sale. And you could buy Roger Clemens for $4, Ryan Sandberg for 3 and about 20 other players. So I have to believe they reprinted these cards because I can't imagine them pulling them from the sets. Well, it's possible, though, but the sets weren't selling. So I don't think they'd go back to press to print a, a few hundred of the hot players. As my, my, They may have 100 unsold sets on the shelf that, that nobody took or got sent back. So I'm unwilling to assume they reprinted for sure, but it, it certainly is possible. But that's all been absorbed into You don't see yeah. as extras of those now. There was no oversight. It's the same problem that Star Company had in the basketball. Yeah. Is it with minimal oversight and you have the original plates, you have the original artwork. Going back to press and, and printing and, and uh, cutting the cards, is it's just that you've got to do it at enough scale to make it worthwhile. Yeah. You can't just do 25 sheets. You've got to 
do 500 or something. And then if it was 500, you'd, you'd probably notice that. But yeah, they could have. They could have. But you wouldn't be able to differentiate them today. You wouldn't be able to. If they use the same stock and the same uh, images, the same plates, no, you couldn't tell. And frankly, some of those minor league sets have two different kinds of cardboard. I was an exhaustive collector. So there were the, uh, backs and white backs. And mostly those are the TCMA. I can remember back in 86 going to a local card show. And they had the 75 International League All-Star set with Gary Carter. Now, I'd never seen those sets for sale before. And that year, a bunch of them were on the market. And the stock is very crude. It's a very thick black and white cardboard. The set's never really gone up in value. Because it was was overproduced. Whether that was going back to press because as an All-Star set, yeah. But again, that didn't have to necessarily be going back to press. It could have been that they made 5,000 of those instead of 5,000. Originally, I'm not willing to impart bad motives. I know. No. I mean, but, but it's possible. I'm going to do an episode about the Star Company, and many think there was some going back to press. Uh, yeah. I never that. had too much interest in those cards. I bought one set of Mattingly, but there's just so many of them, so many different colors and versions. A lot of that could have been reprinted. I don't know that it was, but it could have been. And that's a chilling effect on people's interest. They don't want to right. buy something that could be devalued because a bunch are found but they could be because they didn't sell the first time funny thing is when i was a kid you couldn't find an unopened box on risk like 84 85 86 cars now you find them everywhere right. well, people, still- were just, yeah. people were just sitting on them for years yes and, and and i think they're doing well now they only had to wait 35 years because of the grading because everyone wants a 10 <laughs> and some of the newer cards you actually can get close to 10 when the quality control was better if you had an open pack of cops cards from the 70s and you get them graded, you can have sevens and eights and nines right out of the pack, untouched because of the printing, the print defects, uh, surface problems, centering. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate okay, it. For sending me a photo a reminder that there were some great guys in the industry back when I got in that, that were very helpful to me, many of those you named. Oh.